Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 202. And today's episode is going to be as a result of, again, numerous conversations that I've had recently and experiences. But this one is going to be about um, if you are considering, and I know this is a very small part of this audience, if you are considering sending your dog off to a trainer or also, if you are planning on getting serious and inter- beginning more formal training with your dog, you know, where you, where you actually go out and, and you're going to do good obedience and force stretch and all that kind of stuff. So how do you best prepare a dog for that? Because I, I don't know how much people think about that. I always try to tell people when they call me and they want to send a dog here and they have a little puppy and I give them probably more than they really want, but a lot of good ideas about what to do uh, if they want their dog to come here and get trained and have it be one, the easiest on that dog so that there's the transition isn't very much and then they can just go right into learning phase and stay in it. And, and then it, it, it also saves them training money. Because if the dog goes through things, you know, smoothly and fairly swiftly, then they spend less time here. Then if you have to kind of start from the very beginning and teach them they're a dog and what a leash is. So I want to talk about that particular topic. So if, you know, you've had your retriever there and he's bouncing around a puppy and everyone throws balls and the kids play with them. And then you go, geez, we got hunting season coming up. I think I better... Um, start doing a little training or something and you just just snap the fingers and everything changes that's uh, because you've changed your mind about things doesn't mean your dog has so I just kind of want to break this down I know I'm talking on this one to a fairly small audience but it's very important particularly for the well-being of the dog that's being trained and if you're paying someone else to do it for your training dollar it, it really is so when I'm going to be talking about retrievers here, and it does, whether they point, I'll, I'll bring in the, the ones that are, you know, pointing or non-pointing. Upland's a big part of their thing. And then also uh, the retrieving part. So that's the type of dog I'm specifically talking about in this. So the retrieving, it, when you look at your dog, is we why we got them. We got these dogs because you know, they will bring stuff back to us and we don't have to get in the water or the ice or the cattails or the prickly somethings or others and get birds. These dogs do it and they love doing it, which is why we get them. So the retrieving is, I always say, I think I said in the book, is their primary default behavior. It's what they do when they don't even know what they're doing. You know, you can throw a little rolled up sock for a six or eight week old retriever and it'll run out there and get it and bring it back. It, it didn't think about it. It wasn't a conscious effort. It just does it. Kind of like those pointing breeds, how neat they are. You know, they smell a feather and they just lock up. And they don't know what they're doing either. It's just a thing that happens inside of them. It's just a default natural behavior coming from all their ancestors. So retrieving is important. Now, you say that to people a whole lot. And so they go, oh, yeah, we throw 50 times a day for the dog. Oh, and then every trainer you ever talk to is just going to cringe over that. Um, Because more is not better. Just like if you like, you know, a glazed donut, that doesn't mean 50 glazed donuts will really make your day, 
right? It's, it's kind of enjoying the one or two that you have. So on retrieving, it's important to understand that that is the behavior, one that you probably got them for, in additional to the character and the personality and all that, is that they will do that, and they're a lot of fun, and they're very passionate about them, most of them, and that it, it is that behavior, that love for this, this retrieving thing is what gives you the leverage to make them do unnatural things that aren't fun, like hold the bumper, fetch the bumper, pick it up when I say, hold on to it till I take it, you know, stay seated when I throw something. All of those control things which are not fun, which are not natural, which no dog goes, yes, I love being made to not do anything or just hold something in my mouth that I don't even want. No dog does that. But because they eventually find out, all of that leads to more of this retrieving, okay? That gives you the leverage for the, the more demanding training that's coming down the, down the pike. So anyone with a retriever that wants to hunt, compete, or train it, or have it trained, a passion for that retrieving is extremely important. And the way you get passion is not throwing it 50 times. It's throwing it two or three times and stopping. So, and I've talked about this ad nauseum through these podcasts, I know, but I'm going to say it again. Particularly throwing balls. I'll have to say that I don't throw balls for any, any dogs at all. <laughs> nobody. Not the flushing dogs, not the pointing dogs, nobody. I don't throw balls. Does this mean if you do, it's all over? No. You know, there's people that throw balls and have had great success. I don't do it because it is, that's chasing as much as it is retrieving. So if you were a hound dog, you know, like my wiener dog and chases rabbits, chasing is great. Go. That's what you're supposed to do is chase it. That is not what our, our upland dogs do. They either point the birds or they flush the birds. And then they don't run. You can't have your, 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 upland retriever up in South Dakota chasing a running pheasant because they will be in Nebraska and that's there that's of no use to you so the chasing in our hunting dogs or competitive dogs is of absolutely no use and when people throw balls granted it's in the air for a while and it hits the ground and then it rolls and they chase it and for many dogs that I've gotten in it's the chase that's fun when I just throw a bumper and it just thumps on the ground they're like waiting for something to happen. This is no fun. I want to go after it. So in my opinion, and I know people would have different experiences or disagree, and that's fine. I won't ever throw a ball because there's no chasing in any of, except my wiener dog, who which is allowed to chase things. Uh, there's no chasing on the retrievers because there's nowhere I want them to do that. Can they track? Yes. Can they go after a wounded bird that you sent them? Yes. But their job is not to go out there and chase birds or rabbits or skunks or anything so when you have little puppies and you throw balls for them you really develop a chase thing so then when you go back and start the more formal retrieving like when i get them in and i throw a bumper and it just thumps on the ground they're still waiting for something to happen so then it's hard it's hard now you have to undo no i'm not rolling stuff on the ground it flies through the air and drops and then you go get it and it that could take a, a a fair amount of time, weeks, months, to finally, if they have enough desire for that, to teach them to go do that. So, got to be very, very careful on that one. The reason when I say two or three 
is because this is not where your dog is supposed to get their exercise. I know it's where a lot of people, what they use for exercise, but it's not where they're supposed to get it because one, it's wild and crazy that you can actually, you know, torque little things and hurt things when you do that. But because it's kind of wild and crazy and repetitive, it, beca it, it becomes that in their mind. So we lose all the intensity, we lose all focus, we lose the real thoughtfulness and appreciation of what they're doing because there's going to be 30 more after this one. And so if this one doesn't, they can just do anything and their mind gets very chaotic. There's no good in this for anything. And I mean for anything. There's nowhere in the practical working world of a retriever where 50 mindless retrieves are exactly what you want. I think the drug sniffing dogs, they use the mindless retrieves as the reward for them making a find, if I understand that correctly. But that's not, the re they're not retrievers. I mean, they're retrievers, but that's not what their job isn't retrieving. That's just kind of the chaotic reward. In our world, retrieving is their job. Finding birds, you know, pointing or flushing them, watching them go down, and then going to get it and bringing it back to you. That's their job. And it is a skill-based job. They aren't all born just knowing how to do it. And so if you do two or three, and the, the greater passion they have, right, then the more control you can make them wait. If they don't have that, let's don't put control on them. But we build up a passion by doing just a few, and they want a lot more. They're not chasing anything. They're just retrieving things. And they really, this is so fun. So they're really invested in it. And when you show them what the rules are, here's what you do. You wait, and you watch, and then you go get it, and you bring it right back to me. Then they get better and better at that because that's all they get and so the next time when they see you put the bumper in your pocket oh they're going nuts you know that doesn't mean they need more retrieves it means you're developing that passion and so it is the passion for retrieving again which gives you the leverage for doing stuff like all right now you sit on this table and just hold this thing in your mouth you won't like it it's uncomfortable it seems stupid but I want you to do it anyway because when we're done we're going to go out there and do some retrieves. Or before we did this, we did some retrieves. So that's how you, you get them to be uh, more invested in the other training you're doing because they know that retrieving is going to be in there somewhere. So that's one of the absolute great priorities. Now, another thing, and I don't care whether you're sending your dog to a trainer or you're going to do it yourself, but particularly if you're going to send the dog off. When you send your dog off to a reputable trainer, they're housed well, they're not in crates, they're in a kennel, you know, so that they're comfortable and they have somewhere where they can sleep and water and room, room to move around, but it's not home. Now, if your dog is just in a kennel at home, kennel run outside, and then you take it to a trainer and it's one there, that adjustment isn't going to be too much. But if your dog sleeps on the bed or has its bed next to the bed or sleeps wherever it wants and basically is treated like a little Tiffany you know, crystal retriever that you've got there. And then when you do that with a dog, when they're just cherished and loved, and all, which is great. I mean, we should cherish them and we should love them. I do that. But in truly caring for these animals, you do need to not look about what you're getting in, getting out of this, but what's going to be the best thing for this dog over its lifespan. And I always use the kid analogy. I had two kids, they're grown up. A lot of times I made them, you know, 
do stuff that they didn't really agree with and didn't really nobody none of the other kids didn't have to do it my kids had more chores than anybody and uh, they had to come home and get on that before other stuff until it just became a habit they've since come back and thanked me quite a bit for giving them some ethics about it. just the habit the just the habit of doing the right thing or doing the hard thing and getting it done because all through their lives that pays off it wasn't particularly fun for them when they were having to do it and all their friends weren't. But now they see, they, they understand, you know, and, and, and they are glad that that happened. And it's the same thing with dogs. It's great that you love them. Give them the top quality food. Give them good exercise. Also begin to equip and prepare them for what the rest of their life is going to be. Are they ever going to be boarded at a kennel when you go off somewhere? Or maybe they're at a vet because they tore or hurt something? They need to be used to, you know, being in a crate or a kennel for a while. They need to be used to being somewhere that they don't really want to be. Um, they need to be able to go with what's going to happen in their lives. But if constantly you're just meeting their every need and making sure they have every toy in the softest bed and that they go in or out whenever they wish, then they have no idea how to contend with something with which they're not happy or that they don't like. And I don't, that is the most unloving thing to ever do to an animal or a kid, is to not let them know, all right, you can manage things that are sometimes difficult. You can manage things sometimes that you don't understand. And a good example of that is walking on a leash. How many times I've gotten dogs in where they said, you know, it's so much better off the leash, so much better. So, no, we haven't done much leash stuff. So I know what I got ahead of me. Okay, you're the dog, I'm the people, there's a leash between us, you don't do, <laughs> I'm in charge, you be concerned where I am. I have to teach them what being a dog is, and that's something that's so easy to do at three and four months. I mean, they don't even know anything any different, but when you just don't do that, eventually it has to be done, because every dog in the world almost that isn't a wild or feral dog or abandoned dog has to walk into the vet's office on a leash, has to walk into the Petco or whatever you're doing, or if you're competing or hunting, you gotta walk from the hotel into the, to, to the vehicle or whatever. So, and obedience, which is how you, what you use to train them for all the other stuff, means you have to listen to me and you have to respond. And I don't care if you don't like it because I don't want you to get run over by a car. So you're going to walk on a leash with me cooperatively because otherwise you might be have a bad thing happen to you or out hunting you're crazy willy-nilly somebody shoots you. So it's very important to teach them some of the fundamentals of the dog-human relationship and that's walking on a leash, coming when they're called, um, bringing stuff straight back to you. That's why there's cords and ropes and leashes and stuff. So you can teach that and not avoid it. And it's easiest when they don't know anything but what you're teaching them. Because then it's a clean slate and you go, hey, this is how this works. And then that's all they know. But if you let them know they don't have to do anything, bear down, cope, uh, deal with something that they don't want to deal with, you know, like staying in the kennel or holding the bumper or whatever it is. If you teach them to deal with that and just, then they always can deal with it. But if you never make them do it, I get so many of those in for training, you know. 
They've never been made to do anything. And they're looking at me like I'm out of my mind. What do you mean I have to get on the leash and go outside? It's hot. I just think I'd stay inside. It's nice. Do you have any extra food? I mean, it's like, no, dog, we're going to go work. That's why you're here. So very important to teach that part. I'd say one of the one of the things that I've implored people on this, I don't know if it's to any avail or not, but any dog that we have, any breed, anything, anywhere, should be respectful of your physicality and your airspace and your stuff and your doors and your gates. And that is something that is taught from the very beginning. And for some reason, I don't know why people cater entirely to their dogs. I don't get that. I, I've been trying to develop theories about that for years. And I'm thinking that it's because people treat dogs the way they wish they wish the world treated them. Kind of spoil you, cater to you, let you do what you want, get off your back over everything. And we all want that, right? And so when we have these dogs, it's like, okay, I'm going to treat you that way because at least something in the world is going to be treated nicely. And that's all to make you feel better. It is not the best thing for the dog. So from the very beginning on little dogs, they could be taught to uh, wait for you to go through the door first. Or when you open the door, 99% of everybody's dogs, you open the door and they come washing over you. Like, door's open for me. It's like, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's open because I'm coming out. So don't smash into me. I mean, those things are actually very important because whoever smacks into who the first is the dominant one. And when you let them dominate stuff on the doors and the gates and the chairs and wherever you are, then they're the dominant one. And there's nowhere in any kind of training anywhere where the dog being the dominant one is good for you. Um, because that means you're not the dominant one. And one of the easiest places to establish that with dogs is in daily life and physicality. You know, the jumping on you thing. I, I just, no, I don't know anybody that wants a dog jumping on them. Except a lot of times people with golden retrievers don't mind that, but that's their choice. But I don't want any dog feet on me. Therefore, I don't pick them up when they're 10 weeks old and put their feet on me <laughs> and teach them this is the good place. So later when they weigh 60 pounds and they do it, I'm all mad. So I don't teach them that up in my face with their feet is anywhere that they want to be. And then they won't jump on you. And people always want me to, can you teach my dog not to jump on my grandmother? You know, it's like, no, I cannot. <laughs> I cannot teach your dog not to jump on her. Because that's the dynamic between them. You better be able to control your dog enough that you can, if you're right there, can prevent it. But dogs aren't like robots that way. They, If they are the dominant one, then they're the dominant one. And there's so many harmless small ways in a relationship with a puppy as you're going through that you teach the dog I'm the dominant one I'm that doesn't mean I'm mean that doesn't mean I'm unfair all it means is I'm the boss your feet aren't on me and I won't put my feet on you fair deal and I, I, if you're not allowed on the couch don't get on the couch period um, if you don't care if they're on the couch then fine but if they're going to sit where you are, and so you have to sit somewhere else, once again, the dog is the dominant one. And in a dog training situation, the dominant one is the one doing the training. So 
uh, decide which one of you you want it to be and then go ahead and, and do that. But probably the biggest thing on this whole topic, well, the retrieving is huge, okay? The retrieving is really, really big because, again, even if you're not going to hunt and you have a retriever, that retrieving is still the leverage you have to make them do a lot of other things um, that, you know, they may not do on their own unless they're made to do it. So retrieving is very important. But it is strongly my opinion, strongly my opinion, that the dog should not think that their happiness and their satisfaction is the purpose of this life on this earth. That all we're all there, you're there with your dog to make sure that it it's fed on time and that it gets brushed and it has toys and it, you're out throwing the ball and well he wants in well she wants out that that when you raise a dog to feel that way then um they feel that way and then it becomes your job to maintain that royal presence and status for them then you send them off to a trainer i don't know how many of these i've gotten where they're like they just absolutely dumbfounded because all of a sudden they aren't the center of everything. They're just one of so many, you know, and, and they've got to do their time. And, and when you're doing another dog, they can't sit there and complain constantly because you're not with them. I mean, there's so many places where animals can learn just like we all have to, that there's a time for you when you do your stuff. And then there's a time when it's not for you and it's for someone else. You know, if you're taking tennis lessons, you get your tennis lesson from 10 to 11, and then from 11 to 12, you're off the court and somebody else is there. That's the way it is. And for dogs that have never been anything but the center of all that tension, that's just amazing. And so they, a lot of times they'll bark or, or really protest because they've never learned that, hey, you know, you're part of a larger system and this is how it goes. Dogs reward, in my opinion, for existing, for being with us isn't how much we spoil them or care for them or treat them like they're little Tiffany crystals, but how much, this is the crux of my whole relationship with all dogs, how much do I get to tap into who and what they really are, what they're really, what their purpose, what gives them meaning in this life? Can I tap into that and crack that open and let them become fully expanded into what they are and what they love and what their passions are. That is loving a dog. And because just like with any one of us, if you, you, just you and me, I'm just talking to you, and you were secretly uh, a, a poetry writer. Oh, you wrote the most beautiful poetry, but people don't like poetry. And you, and, but somebody read one of your poems and said, oh my gosh, you're so good at this. Do you have another one you can show me? And you began to trust them and show them. And then suddenly your extreme ability that you didn't even really know you had that much comes out and you write things and you get published and, and you're recognized for being this extremely talented person. You get to do it a lot more than before. That's going to make you a very fulfilled human being. And our dogs aren't fulfilled when you give them treats extra dinner, or a really nice Orvis dog bed. Dogs are fulfilled when you can crack that shell of, of just being a regular dog and find out what's inside 
and what really makes their heart beat and what's what makes them tick and what they love. That is the healthiest, most exuberant animal in the world. And if any of you have done that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's love for a dog. Not one that's catered to, uh, never had any demands made on it, never learned that it had to sometimes do stuff it didn't want to do, and how to cope with hot weather, cold weather, difficult times, being alone, being in a crowd, how to cope with stuff, how to sit there and hold a bumper and not think you're being tortured. So um, preparing, whether you're going to train your dog or you're going to have them at a trainer's. Now, if you are, for those few people that aren't sending their dog off to a trainer, right? that's not home. Nobody's going to be doing the things that you do with your dog at home. So your dog's love of what they're there for, the retrieving work and the hunting and all that, needs to be greater than their desire to be constantly comfortable. And if it's not, then it's probably not going to work very well. So the best thing you can do if you're going to send your dog off to some place to be trained, sure, make sure that it is, of course, a great place to have a dog. And then make sure that your dog is going to be okay being one of many. Make sure that your dog is okay being in a kennel. And another dog goes out and not yours. And they're not going to just become... And how do you do that kind of stuff? How do you prepare? By having that yourself. If their dog is with you 24-7, and now you're going to ship it off and it's going to be with you zero time, right? that's a little tough. So if your dog's going off, then have it spend some time by itself. Leave it at home sometimes. You know, leave it in the kennel run. Put them in a crate. Do different things so the dog learns to be on their own sometimes. Make them do stuff like walk on a leash and heal and sit. Even when there's other fun stuff going on that other people are doing, they still have to do it. Make them, again, walk on a leash, heal, sit, respond to you. Only do a couple retreats. If you need a long cord, have that. But make sure they come back. Don't teach them to go chase things. Teach them to go retrieve things. Teach them that when you go through the door, you go first. And they can only, it, you come out the door and they're out there, they don't come smashing into you. They're waiting to see, are you coming out? Do you want me in? What are we doing? That kind of stuff is not very hard to teach a dog. But you have to value that kind of thing. And that is in creating this dog that, that is disciplined, that has, has mastered itself and what it's doing and found out why it's on the earth and what its purpose is and really grasps all the, the, the things of your relationship and the things you want it to do. That is a dog with a great sense of value with a lot of uh, meaning and fulfillment in its life. That's the most loving thing you can do for any animal. So I'm just throwing that one out this week um, because I don't know if it's COVID or what, but people have really uh, taken it easy on their pups. <laughs> and it makes it hard on their pups when I get them. So I kind of wanted to get that out. And I, I'm pretty sure I probably speak for a fair number of other trainers as well. So it's warm. 101 yesterday. Supposed to even be warmer here today. Got all my training done this morning, starting at sunup uh, because it's kind of hard. And I hope you guys are staying safe. And it's, you're either freezing, getting snowed on in some parts of the country, or boiling. So good luck to all of us. And uh, I will be back soon.